Good morning, Wisconsin. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday show. Dan Schaefer will be joining us about 9.30 or so. But right now, let's get him on get him on the phone. Tri-County Contracting Hotline, my friend, writer, extraordinaire, columnist for National Review, author of a, a few books, anti-knowledge.com, 1916, the blog, does a lot of other great things on social. Christian Snyder, happy Tuesday. Uh, happy Tuesday. You made me get up earlier today. I did, and that, that's going to probably be the trend going forward. So let's let's start with the, all of this conversation. This this is one of the most frustrating political stories that I, I have to talk about, and I've talked about it for all seven years I've done this show, and it's seven years this month. What are we doing with immigration slash border policy? We, we were told it's a crisis, Christian, but here we are. <laughs> Uh, the answer is we are doing nothing. Nothing. Um, so, yeah, after years and years of people saying, you know, there's a crisis at the border, there's chaos, they're bringing in fentanyl, terrorists are running across the border. Uh, none of that is important enough, apparently, as the reelection prospects of Donald Trump, who, after months of negotiating a, a deal, the Senate finally came to a compromise that gives Republicans and conservatives a, a ton of what they've wanted in the past. It doesn't do, um, uh, you know, give a pathway to citizenship for people. It has nothing to do with the people that are already here. They managed to dodge that. But uh, it gives a lot more strength at the border, a lot more enforcement. And they're all set to pass it. And suddenly Donald Trump says, well, you know, this might actually be good for for Joe Biden, who said he'd, he'd sign the bill uh, and it would hurt me in my election. So now everybody looks like they're bailing. Even James Lankford, the senator from Oklahoma, who has been negotiating this bill in good faith, is, uh, is starting to have some doubts now whether uh, whether it should go forward. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are. I, I, you know, I look at the power of Donald Trump. He's, he's certainly appears on his way to the nomination for Republicans for the presidential election in November. He has incredible sway with these people. He, he's gotten people like Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell and just mentioned Langford there and, and many other people to have been outright critics of Donald Trump at one point in the last eight years and have now apparently, at least publicly, completely flipped the script and have taken a much more pro-Trump stance. I don't get it. Maybe you can explain it to me. Well, I mean, he he issues explicit threats on social media. I think he actually uh, posted something like, you know, those who support this immigration deal, uh, you know, you've got something coming for you. And nobody wants to stand up to him um, other than maybe, you know, Nikki Haley, who's who's still running against him, finally is, is standing up to him. But, uh, I mean, we've seen what happens to people that do stand up to him, Liz Cheney, et cetera. They lose their seats and they're cast out of the uh, out of the party. So, if you want to keep a future in the Republican Party in politics, then it's in your best interest to kind of do whatever you want or do whatever he wants, uh, even if it means going back on a promise <laughs> on an issue that you've been 
uh, you know, squealing about for years and years uh, just to help his reelection prospects. Some breaking news as we're talking. I'm watching one of the monitors here. The uh, appeals court, federal appeals court, has said Trump has no presidential immunity in those election cases. So I'm sure that's on its way to the Supreme Court. Uh, your thoughts on on that development? That's what I expected, but I mean, Donald Trump certainly it didn't expect that. Yeah, there's uh, there's really no argument. Um, it, it was just a matter of whether it was going to be. I assume the ruling that. Uh, you know, him trying to steal the election was not a part of his official duties, which is what he was arguing. Uh, and so therefore, he, you know, his argument was that you can't take things that a president does and make them a crime, um, you know, in his official duties, because then no president will have uh, the ability to do anything if they're looking over their shoulder at a, a, at a potential criminal conviction. Uh, and the court clearly didn't buy that. I assume they're probably going to say that, you know, trying to steal an election is not part of <laughs> right. official yeah. duties. So. Uh, it was also unanimous, so it's too early to know the specifics because we'll all learn those probably the rest of today. But uh, it was a unanimous decision. certainly will be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, I'm guessing. And, and my opinion, I would love to see the Supreme Court do the same thing, be unanimous. But, you know, that's that's their their call. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to I talk about other things. Trump has actually expressed interest in debating Joe Biden, current President Joe Biden, I want to get your thoughts on that. And uh, Nikki Haley makes an appearance on a show that you know very well, Saturday Night Live. You've got a great uh, podcast that you do. What's the name of it again? It's called Wasn't That Special. Looking at every episode, every episode, every year of the uh, of the great Saturday Night Show on NBC. Worth checking out. Indeed. Cri- Christian Snyder. We'll take a break here. Lots more to get to. We'll uh, we'll uh, wrap up. A lot of the politics that you've been talking about overnights with uh, Christian and my guest Dan Schaefer in this 9 o'clock hour. All coming up. <laughs> Author and writer Christian Schneider joining us on this Tuesday edition of WTMJ. Now, uh, we talked about the breaking news. The appeals court unanimously says the president has no immunity. Former president has no presidential immunity in election cases. Um, Want to get to this uh, breaking news yesterday. Donald Trump, who has stayed away from all the debates for the uh, the candidates running for the Republican nomination, even though the party, Republican National Committee, says you should. He stayed away from those debates, but now he says, direct quote, I'd like to debate him now because we should debate. We should debate for the good of the country. Why the change of heart, Christian Snyder? <laughs> uh, because now he knows he has somebody that he could actually debate. Mm. <laughs> I mean, uh, in the Republican uh race he had you know people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley who he dodged uh, because he knows that they are competent good debaters whereas I mean we all know how this is going to go where he shows up to debate Joe Biden and just you know demagogues him and yells at him and makes him look foolish Uh, we've seen this in the you know in the 2020 election Uh, there was one debate that was just absolutely unwatchable uh, where Trump just berated him the, the whole time, and it makes you know it makes Biden look kind of weak and and clueless when he you know he can't answer questions, he can't get an answer out because Trump is yelling at it the whole time. So uh, I think that's probably the strategy. Is um, if you were advising Joe Biden, would you stay away from this? Uh, I might. Hmm, I haven't thought about this. I mean, it would seem. Yeah, I mean, given the state of your candidate, I mean, let's let's 
Biden is not a spring chicken. It looks like he might get confused easily. <laughs> right. Um, and he may not be as light on his feet as he was even four years ago. So I might stay away. I mean, I guess it would it would depend on what the polls are saying. If I'm if I'm behind, then maybe I, I take a swing at it. But um, if, as long as you're ahead, I I might stay away from it. The way it could work, and I, I'm not saying it's going to happen because you know I believe I believe what you just said, and I think that's that's the right way to look at it for the for the Democrat in this race. If there were one moderator, no audience, two desks with the two candidates looking at each other and the moderator, um, I think you could control him to a to a, a degree, but allowing him to like you know prance around the stage and you know as you said demagogue and you know shout over Joe Biden, I think would be a train wreck for not just for Joe Biden but for the country and, and probably would eliminate future debates unless we somehow get a handle on how we act in politics, but. I guess that's how it could happen, but I have no faith that the networks would would make that happen. I mean, even when Trump has these town halls, remember a few months ago he did one with CNN, Mm -hmm. and Caitlin Collins was prepared. She was ready for all the things that he was going to say that were incorrect, but even she couldn't keep up with, you know, everything that came out of his mouth. And still, you know, a lot of that stuff leaks through, and no moderator can be prepared enough to stop, uh, to correct, Trump on everything that he says. So, um, you know, it, it's a win for him anytime he can get on TV. Um, let's talk about Nikki Haley. We'll have some fun with the SNL stuff in a second. But um, she is in the race, uh, vowing to stay until Super Tuesday, I guess. South Carolina's looming in, uh, you know, a few weeks. Um, she said to a few folks yesterday, and it was picked up by some of the networks, that she will not endorse Trump. You think that's going to be the case? Uh, I don't think that is going to be the case. It's something she has to say now. Um, like I said, if if you want a future in the Republican Party, you essentially have to stick with whoever the uh, your party's nom- nominee is going to be. Otherwise, you just get booted out of the party and you're never heard from again. So I do feel like she is probably going to support Trump at some point, even with all the stuff she said about his mental competency and uh, lawsuits and all that stuff. But uh yeah, I mean, that's something she has to say now, but I imagine she comes around at some point, because everybody does. Yeah, I mean, I guess that the only way that would, would not work is if the party somehow splinters, and I'm not saying that's going to happen this election, but maybe the, between now and the, the one that comes next in, in 2026 or 2028. I mean, that's I'm not predicting that's going to happen, but there's certainly some, some cracks in the uh, in the armor that might suggest that could happen. Yeah, or unless, you know, the... Traditional conservatives split off and form their own party or something, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's obviously impossible to do. I've had a lot of conversations with uh, third party folks for some of the podcasts I do here at WTMJ, and, and they all have they all say the same thing. And it's it's tremendous uphill struggle and challenge to you know get enough votes, and you know they all cite the, the ones that we know in history sort of had a, got a little traction and, and never really accomplished much. It's, any faith that that. The, the reality of a, a viable third party could be part of our reality in politics? I mean, I would love for that to happen, but when, when that happens and you take a big chunk of the Republican Party, let's say you split the Republican Party in half, you know, then Democrats just dominate everything because you're splitting the Republican vote, and then you become the party that's the spoiler, that's just giving control to, you know, Kamala Harris and everybody else. So um, I don't know that that, that would... Uh, achieve what everybody thinks it would. Yeah, it's an interesting 
sort of talk talk show topic, but you're exactly right. Dem- unless Democrats splinter as well, which I don't see any signs of because they generally vote together, almost exclusively vote together on everything that comes before Congress. So I don't see that that happening in the near future. Let's talk about Nikki Haley. She shows up on Saturday Night Live, a show you know very well uh, with your podcast work. Um, I was somewhat surprised because it's it's a show that obviously leans way left, and they they've not ever been very nice to Republicans or especially conservatives. And I I would put Nikki Haley in the real conservative camp. What do you make of that? Yeah, it is interesting. Obviously, they don't like Republicans, but they don't like Trump even more. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Trump hosted in in 2015. So all these people out there, all these Republicans, saying, well. Nikki Haley's just on SNL because she wants to get the libs to vote for her. Well, you know, Donald Trump did it in 2015 and trying to do the same thing. So um, it is interesting, the backlash that SNL is now getting for Nikki Haley being on <laughs> on their show. You know, people are, are upset. Uh, Bowen Yang, who's a who's a cast member, uh, said something snarky on Instagram about her her appearance on the show. You remember last week or a couple of weeks ago, Dave Chappelle showed up mm-hmm. uh, uh, during the good nights and Bo and Yang had a big problem with that. Uh, and then next week, Shane Gillis, who was hired as a comedian to be on the show, but immediately they found out he had said some unfortunate things about Asians. Uh, he was booted off the show uh, as well. So there are a lot of things going on on SNL that are that are uh, irritating people. And it's funny, you know, as as conservatives, I mean, every entertainer, every show, we have to sit around and put politics aside and say, OK, well, uh, I like this person regardless of their political views. But then, you know, Nikki Haley shows up on SNL, a place that's a traditional uh, liberal place. And there's all this, you know, moaning about, oh, how can we have this person uh, with these political views on our show when you know conservatives have to do with the, deal with this every day. So um, it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. Christian Center, one more break. I want to ask you, this is a surprise uh, category topic, oh. Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. We'll get to those after that, <laughs> after this important break with Christian Snyder. Spend some time with Christian Snyder, author, columnist. All right. Taylor Swift taking over the world. Grammys. NFL broadcasts, concert tours, movie, the movie industry, whatever it is, she, she's her Midas touch turns everything to gold. What do you make of these uh, conspiracy, the, the psyops conspiracy theory about Taylor Swift, Christian? I mean, it's obviously lunacy. Um, you know, social media now is made uh, for people. Uh, the incentive is for people to get attention for themselves. And there's no better way to get attention than to, you know, uh, slag Taylor Swift online, like, oh, my gosh, she's on TV too much and blah, blah, blah. There's one guy who's kind of made a career of it getting like I think he got like 20 million views on one of his one of his posts. So that's all that is. Um, But it's interesting to me that, you know, this whole appeal uh, to Donald Trump for, for people is that, you know, he's really manly. He's a real man. And there's this whole movement within the Republican Party uh, or conservatism that's all about manhood and masculinity. And I, apparently that means like when you see Taylor Swift on TV, you have to fall on the couch in, in hot sweats and, uh, you know, wilt like a hothouse flower. 
that doesn't seem very manly to me. Or, you know, anytime you see a, a green M&M, you have to go online immediately and start complaining about, uh, you know, how it represents lesbians or something. <laughs> uh, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because it, it, it's, it's stupid. That's the, you know, the best way I can describe it. We, we are wrapping, I think social media plays a big role in this. We're just wrapping ourselves in these stupid conspiracy theories and, and they gain traction and views and make some people popular for saying dumb, stupid things. And I, I guess I would expect more from our population. We are going to be making a very important decision in November. I, I said this yesterday to somebody away from the show. The only way this nightmare ends if, and again, all the Trump lovers out there are going to hate me, if Donald Trump takes a beating on election day, that's the only way this ends. Because you're going to see rats jumping off a ship like nobody's business. All these folks who used to hate Donald Trump and now love him because of politics, they're all going to jump back off the sh- jump off the ship. Yeah, my uh, my friend David French, who writes for the New York Times, wrote something yesterday where he said, you know, someday we're going to look back at this era uh, and just be embarrassed at at all the things that we wrote and said uh, because this this era is going to pass. And I agree with some of that, but. Is it really going to pass? Like, are we, or is this, or is this just the beginning? I mean, where, where are the incentives now to be decent or to be, uh, you know, intelligent? They're not there. Like, like I said, attention now is is our currency, and as long as you can get attention for yourself, no matter what the means, no matter how reprehensible you have to do to be to get it, that's what people are into. So uh, I think we're just getting started. We're we may be heading into an era where people just live in their own their own worlds and never come out, and uh, we never have any common ground anymore. Chris, I'm going to answer your question. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Simple as that. We're starting a revolution of the sane and the normal and the common sense-filled logic people. How about that? I can't get my kids to do what I want uh, them to do. I All can't right. imagine me leading anybody else. All right. You make the argument. I'll, be, I'll persuade people. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. All right. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Christian Snyder, author, columnist. Uh, what's your SNL uh, podcast link? It's called uh, Wasn't That Special. It's wasn'tthatspecial.com, or you can find us on X Twitter at 50 Years of SNL. Always great conversation. You have a great rest of your week. Yep, you too. Thanks. All right. Dan Schaefer, political writer extraordinaire. On the other side of the political eye, we'll have him in studio after this. All right, we're going to continue the conversation with uh, the other side of the political aisle, my friend Dan Schaefer. He writes the Recombobulation Area. Era. Area. Why did I say era? Area. Recombobulation Era. In my Recombobulation Era, if I'm doing a Taylor Swift (laughs) reference here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You wish you had that kind of popularity. I I don't know if anyone should have that kind of popularity. She's like the most popular musician maybe of of my lifetime. I I said yesterday, almost Elvis-like. Like, it's that big. I mean, Elvis is, like, on a pedestal by himself, but this is pretty big. Yes, the the Grammy the other night, the, the company that she's in now with winning four albums of the year, I think it was she was, she was the first person to ever do that. Yeah, right? so, and, but I mean. Then the, you know, the three were, like, Stevie Wonder and Paul Simon. And, <laughs> I, and the thing is, she's 34. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. pretty sure they won stuff after they were the, after the age of 34. I know they did. Yeah, so, I mean. She's, she's younger than me, which, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. I, I, I give her all the credit. She worked, I mean, I saw some video the other day that was going around. I think she's like 16 on some stage in somewhere and already had her name on the, on a banner. And you got to give it up to people that work that hard to get where they're at. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Friday with uh, Bill McCosh and Joseph Packey, Political Power Hour. So I want to kind of refresh the conversation. The consult since we last talked, the consultants' report has come out. So we 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 are left with this. We have the two Republican leaning plans, left uh, uh, conservative leaning plans. One was by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. One was by the legislature. The the consultants basically said two partisan. The four liberal fair map plans, if you want to call it that. Um, they were sort of all kind of the same. They said in their report, in, indistinguishable from each other. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Assessment? So yeah. So the the report came out. So the the Wisconsin Supreme Court, in their December twenty second ruling, ordered this process for to to get new maps in time for the twenty twenty four election. Uh, part of that was hiring these court appointed consultants, uh, redistricting experts uh, from across the country to come in. And after the the parties involved in the case issued their map submissions, uh, these consultants wrote a report. They were, that report uh, was released uh, last Friday. It's about a twenty five page document. It's a you know it's just a, a good good light read. Uh, if you're looking something by the bedside table there. I, I started but, to read it. I went right to the summary. I've got to be yeah, honest with you. That That's probably the best way to go. But the big takeaway from it was that I think it said what, what many of us already know and what we've talked about here on the show the last couple of weeks, which is that uh, the map submis- submission from legislative Republicans did not fit any of the criteria. They basically just did not do the assignment set forth by the court, the court asking to abandon lease change uh, in these new maps, to consider political neutrality in these new maps. The the legislative Republicans just basically didn't do any of that, uh, just submitted much the same map as the one that was just struck down. What do you think of Will's plan? Uh, Will's plan, I think, you know, they at least did the assignment. So I think there's a difference in what the legislative Republicans just, just doing nothing, calling everything a gerrymander, throwing this enormous fit, trying to pass something late last week to, to go around. On the court, um, the will plan at least you know they at least did the assignment, uh, and but as the as the court appointed experts said that what they submitted was a quote unquote stealth gerrymander. Uh, so they you know uh, tried to tried to limit community splits, tried to uh, you know seek for compactness, communities of interest, all these kinds of things. But they still through that found their way to. Um, you know, that when they were considering the political neutrality of it, about a 10 point Republican advantage uh, in the uh, in the maps that they submitted for the assembly. So instead of the 65, 40 is 65, 35, basically, that we have uh, right now in the state assembly, it would be closer to like a 60, 40 uh, type of situation. So still very much a partisan gerrymander. And I think it's really interesting to note you look at the other map submissions from Governor Evers, from Democratic senators, from the two uh, legal groups uh, that, uh, you know, that submitted um, the left leaning legal, legal groups that submitted maps. I think it's really important to note that the consultants went through and said that not only were those not democratic gerrymanders but each of them except for the democratic senators map for half of it uh, they said that it was had a slight republican bias so let me repeat those democratic uh maps didn't go the other direction and try to draw a 60 40 map in favor of democrats they had a slight republican wasn't around four Four seats or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was around you know kind of the two to four percent right. uh, Republican advantage, which I think matches the political geography of the state. But none of them were Democratic gerrymanders, and I think that's a really important point here. It's not the two sides are not the same. We have one side trying to draw itself a path to a supermajority, one side drawing itself a path to a fifty fifty map. So let's take all of the courts consultants 
whatever, out of the equation. Mm -hmm. If you looked at Wisconsin, let's say you don't live in Wisconsin, you're looking at Wisconsin politically, where would you assess we fall on on the ideology scale, uh, scale? Do you think we're leaning Republican, or where are we at? I think we are right in the middle. I think we're the exact... Probably, you know, we've been the tipping point state based on what, in the exactly? 2016 election, the tipping point state in the 2020 election. Uh, and so you, we are so evenly politically divided. And I think even though, you know, Democrats and Democratic backed candidates have won 15 of the last 18 statewide elections, I still think you say it is a 50 50 state, not a, you know, light blue state. Okay. Um, if I'm looking at the the maps that uh, may happen, we have a lot of incumbents who are going to be running. They're all running, right? Everybody's running in the in the assembly, correct? If, it, I mean, every every seat will be on the ballot. Yes. All 99 seats will right. be on the ballot. Yeah. And there's a lot of concern among Republicans that there's some unfairness with having people run against each other. Again, this is all speculative because we don't know where the lines are yet. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Is should that be something that? Is there a natural advantage to be an incumbent if, if we make incumbents run against each other? There is, of course. Uh, but I think also at the same time, you know, the, the consultants addressed this in the report, too, which is that because we have an outsized number of Republicans representing Wisconsin in the state assembly and in the state Senate right now, it's natural to put those to, to see that more Republicans will be paired just by the simple fact that there are more Republicans in the state legislature. Also, you know, there are many criteria that the court set forth in drawing new maps. Considering the home address of incumbents in the state was not one of those criteria. It is not a criteria that should be considered. I would I would agree with you because yeah. this is the now, but we don't we don't draw maps for now. We draw maps for the future, at least right. ten years. You can't be worried where someone lives. Exactly. On either side. Those those districts belong to the people who live there. They they are not a birthright for these legislators who seem to think that they automatically get grandfathered in and be an incumbent in these districts in perpetuity. You know, basically, we didn't have a normal redistricting process two years ago because they adopted that bogus least change principle. So we basically kept baked in the same gerrymander from the 2010s into maps from the 2020s. We're getting a real redistricting process now. And so that process should not consider uh, where the home addresses of, of legislators are, it should best represent the state of Wisconsin and the people in this state. Writer Dan Schaefer, The Recombobulation Area, where can folks find it? Uh, you can find it at therecombobulationarea.news. Recombobulation Area publishes on Substack. You can also find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. And it's a good Bucks content, too. That's right. That's Absolutely. right. Trade deadline coming up. Yeah, and our Bucks. Oof. Got rough, those, got rough those road notifications. Trip. The rough road trip. Thank That's right, God though. they won one game. Otherwise, we'll be tearing our hair out. That'd, that'd All right, rough, we'll take yeah. a quick break here on WTMJ now. My guest, as always on Tuesdays, Dan Schaefer, writer and creator of the Recombobulation Area. Where can folks find it? Uh, you can find it at the Recombobulation Area dot news, Recombobulation Area on Substack, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. So I was watching, and I, I guess I don't even know the, the whole backstory. You had a conversation with my friend Omar Sheikh, who kind of runs, well, he runs Carnivore, he runs Third Street Market Hall. What was the gist of that, that back and forth that you had online, right, social media at first? Yeah, so uh, last week I sat down for an interview with, with Omar Sheikh, uh, the, who runs Third Street Market Hall. We, we talked uh, right here at Third Street Market Hall last week. But the, the kind of precursor to this 
uh, was that Omar was the chairman of the Home Crew Coalition. So the group of many business community leaders that were advocating for funding for American Family Field. Had him on the show to talk about it. Exactly. So so one of the, you know, after that deal was passed, Governor Evers signed it into law. Uh, there was, you know, a couple stories in, in the local media here talking about um, the potential quote unquote beer district, right? We talked, we wrote about this a lot at the recombobulation area over the past couple of years. It's been kind of a, a topic of com- community conversation of, you know, do we really need all of these parking lots around American Family Field? Should we do something like we do, uh, around the, the Bucks Arena downtown to create, you know, something that is more of a 365 day a year destination, uh, around American Family Field and have more of a firm commitment to, to develop some of the land that the brewers and the stadium district and the state owned? Uh, and so, you know, I, I was, uh, I was a business news reporter for a long time before I started my own thing. Uh, and in the business community, there's always so much optimism for a big project in Milwaukee. Everybody always gets so excited about these new new designs and renderings and different things. And I was just so struck by the reaction to, you know, this proposal for a beer district, this, this study, they didn't commit to any action, but they committed to, you know, having a task force and a study to look at what it might mean. And I saw comments from Omar, I saw comments from others in the business community you know, saying that they're opposed to a beer district before we even do the study. Protecting their own interests? I, I don't even know what it is, but I, you know, I made, went on Twitter, made some, some critical comments. Uh, Omar and I got into a little, a little bit. We <laughs> as had a little you bit, do on social media. As I do on social media, I don't necessarily shy away <laughs> from the conversation, do I? Um, but Omar and I get, got into a little bit. At the end of that, we decided, you know, let's sit down for a conversation. Let's Which sit is down classic for an Omar, interview. because he, he, at the end of the day, he's interested in, in a resolution, not just a constant conflict. Right, and it, you know, it wasn't a personal disagreement. We don't, we have, we've had good uh, relationships and, and conversations in the past, but we just disagreed about this particular issue. Uh, so yeah, we sat down on that. I have a podcast up at the Recombobulation area. You can go listen to it. it's about a half hour uh, conversation with with me sitting down with them. We're talking about the beer district, uh, talking about the Home Crew Coalition. There was the news last week that there will be the the Third Street Market Hall annex within uh, American Family Field. I saw that. So we talked about that too. We talked about if if his backing of that had. Any anything to do with the you know opposition to the beer district as well so i encourage you to go go uh, check that one out here's why i think an idea like the beer district could work with this caveat go slow mm-hmm. one of the things i know about people in southeastern wisconsin and wisconsin for that for that matter they love easy and easy out if you develop some of those parking lots easy to get to Free parking, get right in, do your thing, whatever whatever the establishment is, whether it's food or more entertainment or whatever it is. Get out of there quickly after you leave. That could be a sell. There's a lot of folks, I'm not one of them because I love working downtown, I love coming downtown, who don't like the hassle of trying to find a parking spot or, you know, parking in a, you know, messing with the meters and all that, you know, the, the credit card stuff, all that stuff. They don't like it. You come in, you hang out, you leave, you park for free. That could work, and we could also it'd be a barometer on whether that concept could work there, because there's really other than the, the restaurant at the at the uh, American Family Field in the golf place, how how busy is that stadium when there's not a concert or a event there for sports? Right. Well, that's that's part of why. And and Omar kind of recharacterized the way he he said, "I'm not opposed to a beer district." He said he took that comment back. So. Uh, but he said he's still very skeptical that it could work and saying, it, you know, it's on an island out there. It, it, it know, is. But at the same time, so part of what my argument was with it is, you know, the Milwaukee area has a very low vacancy rate for, for housing. We need to build 
new housing in this region. So why not do it here when you're right next to, you know, a great amenity like the American Family Field? Uh, you know, West Dallas has actually been one of the communities in the area that has been most aggressive about building new housing. That's right around the corner from the from the from the stadium, things like that. So why not use this beer district as an opportunity to not only have like an entertainment destination where you could bring people not just the eighty day eighty games a year where there is uh, a game at the ballpark where you have something that's more bringing 365 days a year vibrancy, bringing more people, uh, more housing for people to live. You know, there's that Komatsu plant uh, that's more or less right across the street uh, from American Family Field. That's now empty. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of desire for urban industrial places in that. So why not convert that to housing, bring some apartments, give, give places for people to live? And add to the supply of housing, lower the overall housing costs in the region. I'm somebody who did the, did that very thing in Oak Creek. We wanted to have an option for people that didn't didn't have access to, to buying a, uh, at least the assets needed to buy a home in a in a difficult buyer's market. Right, cost goes up, supply is low. That's an option for people. And and here's the thing: a texter made this point too. I know people say, "Well, there's there's things you can do in the ballpark." It's not that easy right now. When you drive in there, and I'm I'm not saying anything against the Brewers. I love the Brewers. But when you get in there, it takes a while to park your car, walk through the stadium, get to the event. I'm talking about literally doing a beer district where on one of those outlots, you get in, you get out, you enjoy yourself. Much easier than walking into the ballpark, which is a 10-minute process for some people, maybe longer than that if they have challenges. I I just think we have to start thinking about these things. Rather than do the big grand design at the beginning, that's cool for cities to think about. But maybe you baby step this thing and you see what works. And then you don't impact parking all at the same time. You kind of figure it out first. I think that's a common sense way to look at it. Well, and I think that's, you know, the, that's why I'm optimistic about this study because I think if we get a better understanding of, you know, what the issues might be for developing the Menominee River's right there. Mm-hmm. How about putting something like a beer garden on the Menominee River? I yeah. think that type of thing would, would work great. And actually, it's nice part down the, there. It is, exactly. But I think there's so much. You know, there's nothing on the river there. It's underutilized. So I think, you know, there's there's certain things that that seem like kind of a low-hanging fruit type of thing that they they could do. Uh, But they've just uh, been so committed to the parking and so uh, invested in in that. You know, we even saw some news this week about, you know, changing the way that uh, people are going to pay for their parking spots going in. Yeah, what do you think about that idea, the the license plate reader? How does that work? I mean, I I know how license plate readers work, but... I think that's going to confuse some people. <laughs> I do, frankly. And if somebody just blows through and parks in a like a preferred parking area, what's the enforcement on? Well, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Like, how do you enforce that? I don't know. Are there going to be tow trucks all over the parking lot uh, t- taking people off the tailgating? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. The, but, other, th- the other thing I've, I've I've been talking about recently, you know, the north lot north of of ninety four, the one it's it's used for like opening day. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's open every. That should have a big office tower on it. Should have had an office tower 10 years ago. There you go. Right on the freeway. Or housing, right there. Or Put, housing. Have or, some or apartments right there. Yeah. I think you, it's you a great to... neighborhood. You know, I live on the west side of Milwaukee. It's a great place to live. I think you can, you know, build some opportunities for more people to uh, to make a home there as well. All right. Christian Sider went long, so you get less time today. We'll have to rectify that next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it up with Christian. Dan Schaefer, he writes the, the great recombobulation area. From a left-leaning perspective, he admits that. Uh, how, do the, how do folks find it? Uh, you can find it at the recombobulationarea.news. Uh, I just wrote a column about redistricting, about this consultant's report, uh, so be sure to uh, to check that one out. And later this week, I'll be breaking down uh, the Marquette University Law School poll. Uh, oh, yeah. First one in a while yes. tomorrow, so that'll be a good one. Reminds me of you get Charles Franklin on the show. All right, Dan 
Schaefer will do it next week. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. Yes, it is Tuesday, the 6th day of February. Great first hour. My guest, Christian Snyder and uh, Dan Schaefer. It's going to be more uh, general. uh, Generally going to have a lot of guests going forward in the 9 o'clock hour, so you're going to get used to that, I think. And, and, um, you know, we can all discuss and converse about the issues of the day, but uh, I'm going to try to bring in people that spend a lot of their time and energies devoted to these topics that are consuming all of us in a lot of different ways from uh, the politics of sports, the politics of culture, the politics of politics, for that matter. Lots and lots to discuss, and you'll notice that that uh, shift uh, in the, in the uh, days and weeks ahead. So sort of a, a nice way to look at the, the news of the day, and I, and I look forward to, to bringing even more um, important guests and uh, subject matter experts in front of you at least from the uh, the stream folks that are watching the video, and all of those of you of all all of those out there listening on the radio, of course, traditional radio. It ain't going away, and I, I might do a story about that later. Uh, the the cause of keeping AM in cars in a viable messaging, information, and entertainment platform, I think, is important. So, anyway, we're all sort of ramping up for the Super Bowl Sunday, Las Vegas. Been watching some of the coverage. Las Vegas is a great venue. I go probably three or four times a year. I think I have two trips planned later this year and probably work on another one at some point. Um, Great city. It's become a big-time sports city now with the the arrival of hockey and soon baseball and, of course, the Las Vegas Raiders. And it's it's a, a city that continually renews itself. So Sunday, all eyes on Vegas. The other thing that all eyes will be on on Sunday is the Super Bowl commercials. And I saw this this story, and I don't know if I'm going to spend a ton of time on it, but it, it's interesting because I think it, it, it illustrates the impact of social media and sort of the, the wokeism, overused term, obviously, uh, and how it's impacting our culture. Here's the headline. I read it in Variety. You can chase it down at Variety.com if you want the headline is this, Super Bowl advertisers poised to play things safe, featuring social media backlash. So what are we talking about? Now, typically in the past, Super Bowl commercials have sort of been edgy, right? They've had fun with controversial topics, controversial people, and generally weren't afraid of you know, making some people a little mad or tweaking people, nudging them in, in a way that maybe they didn't expect. So when I see a headline like this, I'm discouraged. I'm concerned. Why do I say that? Because we all saw what happened with the Bud Light controversy and and all that wrapped itself around that, you know, people stopped drinking Bud Light for Pete's sake. Now, I would argue, and I've seen this firsthand, friends of mine that drink Bud Light, they still drink Bud Light. They like the beer. They're not going to change. They don't care about the controversy. You know, it doesn't matter. But I was making this point before the show to a teammate. If you stop being edgy, if you stop being relevant and topical, and you you make your new watered-down commercials for the Super Bowl, wouldn't that make them less interesting to watch? I mean, humor goes a long way, and I get that they're going to try to 
pick up the slack with humor. But wouldn't you want them to be risk takers? There was an example in 2015 nationwide. Told a story from the viewpoint of a child who was dead. And it was criticized. But they were trying to spark conversation. And this, the, the commercial was basically Earth Tilts. It's, it's, you know, it's all fantasy, of course. Earth Tilts, his smartphone battery was dead. It's, it's all related to looking at an issue in a way that you wouldn't have looked at it before. Right? That edginess, that willingness to take chances, is what makes, for me, Super Bowl commercials fun. If marketing folks, if CEOs... If ad agencies, if networks are afraid, doesn't that dumb down the the, pro, the process? Dumb down the ads we're going to see? I think it does. And the reality is, in 2024, the year we're in now, all this social media chatter and online buzz, negative buzz, is what the folks who work in advertising on Madison Avenue fear the most. So expect this edition of the Super Bowl, which I think is the 58th, to be more about humor, more about comedy. And I'm sign me up for that. I, I like that. I just I think if if you get too careful with this stuff, it dumbs it dumbs down the fun. I think edginess is important, and one of the concerns that some people have, including me, is that as we become this woke country and this woke culture and society. We're shutting down people's voices. In my opinion, diversity of opinion is good. Certainly diversity of viewpoints is is good. We thrive on that in the radio business, right? Hearing different viewpoints. Just in an hour, we had a conservative columnist and a liberal columnist. And amazingly enough, we all be able to get along and have a civil conversation. That's why it matters. 855-616-1620. As I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. If you have a thought... I think it's a move in the wrong direction. I love humor, and certainly I'm a fan of comedy, but if you get away from the edginess, willingness to take chances on commercials, especially during the Super Bowl when you have an audience of, what, 600 million or whatever it is, I think you're missing an opportunity. Push the envelope. Diversity of viewpoints. I think you're missing that. What do you think after this? So wake me up. Talking Super Bowl commercials, uh, give you a show note. This is a good one. Next Monday, day after. Joining me in studio, Carol Kane, 9 to noon, and special guest, Steve Palak. So I have two radio legends in the studio at the same time, 11 to 12. Steve Palak will join us. We're going to talk about commercials and all the, the great touch points of that uh, mega sports event. Biggest, I, I call it the biggest sports event in the country. Um, and it's it's worth talking about, so we're going to have fun with Carol Kane and Steve Pallick, two radio legends from Milwaukee, joining me on Monday's show. So look look forward to that. Let's go to the phone line, talk about Super Bowl ads. I say stay edgy. Don't live in fear. Hit those really, really relevant hot-button topics and have fun with it. You can do both. I get the fun part. That's easy. But make it relevant and topical. Mike joins us. Hey, Mike. Morning, Steve. How are you? Wonderful on this Tuesday. How are you? 
I'm all right. Um, I think the um, you know the backlash that they have faced for some of those edgy commercials. I can't really blame you know companies advertising sort of in a more um, sort of mellow way, I guess. Um, however, they're going to see how I believe they'll see how this plays out, and if it doesn't play well, they will go back to the edginess next year because, as you know, they are spending millions of dollars for these commercials, and if they do not play well then they will go back to the edginess, I believe. You know, I look at it this way. Thanks for the call, Mike. Look, comedy plays, if it hits. But we have entire shows that are comedic shows. You know, I was talking to Christian Snyder earlier. Saturday Night Live. I'd say half their stuff works, half doesn't. And they are some of the most brilliant comedic writers in the country. Ah, 50-50. Even commercials. Comedy works if it's funny. Sometimes one person's funny is not funny. So, I mean, it's, it's always a hit or miss. Why not be topical? I mean, obviously, you don't want to offend people, right? You don't want to hurt somebody for no reason. That That's paramount. And any company, any marketing department or marketing company will tell you that, right? You don't want to hurt people for no reason. But if you play along the edges, I think you can have fun with some of this stuff. And I think if we give that up, what what's the point of watching the commercials? Hoping it's funny? Now, one of the textures says the, the Clydesdales are coming back this year, supposedly. It's good. It's a great commercial. It's more tradition, more uh, hist- historical, I think. Full disclosure, never made me want to drink Budweiser. Bud Light didn't change my mind about the beer. I was entertained. And, you know, the cool thing about the Super Bowl, I guess, is that a lot of people who never watch football for whatever reason watch the Super Bowl. What did I say? $600 million or whatever it is going to be this year. It's a entertainment event just as much as it is a sporting event. Um, one of the things that I wanted at least put forward on this topic is when we are having conversations about controversial issues that's the one time I think where most talk radio fails by not presenting both sides of the argument and that's something we're going to try to do more of on this show not that every issue has two sides you've heard me talk about um, you know issues that frankly I think are so one-sided there's really no point to trying to explore a silly or specious argument made by by someone who just wants to get attention. It's not so it's not always the case. But a lot of these controversial topics have two sides and they're worth discussing. I'll watch the commercials like I do every year. I'm interested in the game because I'm a fan of seeing great quarterbacks play and we got two great ones in the game, Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. That is worth the price of admission, which is either your cost of a uh, television provider or an antenna, whatever you have. I'll be watching, and we'll talk about it on Monday's show with Carol Kane and Steve Pack. We'll take an early break here. Lots more to get to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some updates on some stories that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, including the Curtis Ambulance story. A woman, Jolene Waldruff, passed away after emergency response fails her. We'll get to that update. And the Brewers changing their parking Interesting sort of technology update. We'll get to those stories and more after this.
on WTMJ Now. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday. However you find us over the air, online podcast. Don't forget, two very different kinds of podcasts that I do weekly. Every week I do two new Decision Wisconsin podcasts focusing on both the run-up to the RNC Milwaukee this summer and certainly the, the campaign for president from a lot of different angles. We've had Charles Franklin on the show. We've had legal scholars talking about the Trump trials. We've had uh, elected officials, former electeds, and uh, there are always interesting ways to look at it. And, and the, the most recent edition on Decision Wisconsin is with my friend Nicholas Sarwark, who has been on the program, who is the former chairman of the Libertarian Party. We talk about third-party candidates and their viability in the most recent edition, which I think is is posted now on WTMJ.com. If it's not, it'll be up shortly. And some good ones scheduled uh, in the weeks ahead. And then my Scavidiology podcast, which is sort of everything other than politics, right? So if Decision Wisconsin is politics, Scavidiology is everything else. And we have a really good one. It'll post on Friday. The one, the only Gene Miller, legend in radio, legend in broadcasting, the guy that used to uh, hand off the big chair to me after working the Wisconsin Morning News Shift, we sat down and talked with him about all things retirement and how he gets his news now if he gets it. Talked some Wisconsin sports because he's a uh, a sports fan, probably more than anything else. He loves his sports and just some fun stuff about being old and being on the radio. So look for that on Friday. And as I said, we create a lot of new podcast content, all available at WTMG.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just put Scafidiology or Decision Wisconsin. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. So good, good extra content. I can only do so much on the show. Always some other things we can talk about, some other great guests. We can't fit them all in here, so we'll certainly uh, give you some other opportunities. Find them. They're worth listening. And the great thing is, no ads. And they're generally short, 16 to 20 minutes. I think I went a little long with Gene because he was so darn interesting. Gene Miller's the best. And I, I said it in the podcast. Not just a great broadcaster, great human being, which I don't say that about everybody. He's a great human being. So check that out. It'll be uh, published on Friday. All right. We got an update on a couple things in the next half hour. One is, and I know the Brewers one is going to be a little more controversial, but the, the story with Curtis Ambulance, what am I talking about? A, a woman from South Milwaukee passed away after um, hurting herself, struck her head, um, 911 calls, she made some, passersby made some calls. Her name was Jolene Waldriff. was at a Milwaukee bus stop. There's been endless talk radio, news show conversation about this. I've said what I've said. We dropped the ball, we being all of us, in at least not intervening in a quicker, more thorough fashion. Instead, she got the drive-by eventually passes from hypothermia. Well, like a lot of stories, they gain some traction, they get some attention. We talk about them on, on talk radio and the news. And sometimes they just go away. This one's a little different. The president of Curtis Ambulance has now said they're going to consider a range of new ideas, policy, protocol, after the death of Jolene Waldrop. Direct quote, James Baker did an interview with the Journal Sentinel on Monday. When someone is injured and you're looking for help, you expect emergency medical services to be there and to fill that need. When it fails, as it did in this case, for a variety of reasons, people are upset 
and they're angry, and they want to know why. The people involved in EMS have to take this opportunity to look at what we could have done better. And that's exactly right. And I know Annie Schwartz and I, who we work together in the Public Safety Hour every Wednesday. We're going to talk about this extensively tomorrow as well. So Baker from Curtis Ambulance Service is meeting with Milwaukee Fire Department officials today, right? actually tomorrow, to discuss some of these ideas. And they've reached out to the Common Council. I think it's meeting today. Why does this matter? Because remember, last week at the press conference, they said no change was coming. Nothing was going to happen. And they were criticized for that response. And I think that's that's key here. Learn from your mistakes. Status quo, although often making your job easier, isn't always the way to go. Isn't always the way to go. And I think there's certainly a fact-based review process here that says that is certainly what happened, or I should say didn't happen. A woman shouldn't call 911, passers-by shouldn't call 911, a private ambulance service responds and doesn't get out of the vehicles. Now, I know it was cold. That's no excuse. We had multiple calls, concerns coming from different people, including the victim herself, she dies of hypothermia. This is a good first step, and, and I, I appreciate and applaud Curtis and the city for saying, you know what, we failed here. We didn't protect and serve, which is the motto of police and fire. And protocols and policies should change. That's how it's supposed to work. It didn't help Jolene Waldrop, but it can help people who come next after her. Somebody who responds to an act of violence or a health emergency, expecting someone to show up. Well, they didn't do that for Jolene Waldrop, not to the degree they should have. So I applaud Curtis and the city for fixing that issue, at least talking about fixing that issue. And we'll keep you posted on any changes with that. All right, after the break, I want to hear from you. 855-616-1620. Brewers changing their parking. Get familiar with the term electronic license plate reader, ELP. That's next. Hard as it is to believe, although the weather would indicate that we're not that far away. Although, you know, you know, you all know winter blast is coming at some point. We're not going to get through this winter without feeling a little more pain for those of us in southeastern Wisconsin. Hopefully it's nice where you are. It's not bad here today. I think it's in the 30s. So, Well done, Mother Nature, for the folks who don't need snow like me. Save your texts and emails. I know there's snow lovers out there. I got a lot of them. Don't need a flood of new ones. So the Brewers, first, I believe it's the first sports team that's going to try this. And if if, if I'm wrong on that, you can correct me on the the, uh, text line. But I saw this story written by Tom Dakin, who's been on the program for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And it's it's an interesting way to, um, I think, try to speed up the process of entering and parking at a ballpark using the technology available. What am I talking about? So under this new system, which recognizes license plates and eliminates those payments, you know, when you you go on a Brewers game or event, you have to, you know, stop, give them your card, they run it, they give you a receipt. Well, they're getting rid of that. Starting with the home opener on April 2nd, 
they will have a it's essentially a link to your to your uh, prepaid uh, your prepaid your your I shouldn't say prepaid your MLB ballpark app, which is how you utilize ticketing now um, because there's not paper tickets anymore. Um, you'll have to type in your license plate. So though for season ticket holders or people who have purchased parking ahead of time, you type in your license plate, and then a reader recognizes that plate. You're good to go. Now, if you are just going for one game or you're purchasing your parking day of, which is more expensive, by the way, you have to enter, I have to scan a QR code, which are posted on signs in the lot, enter your license plate and your payment information. So basically what they're doing is, instead of holding up the line for parking, you come in, you've either done this already on your MLB ballpark app, or if you're day of purchase parking, you find the QR code, I'm sure there'll be on little signs all over the parking lots, enter your license plate and your payment information, sort of like when you park in one of the downtown lots in Milwaukee or your city. It's the way that uh, technology works now. I'm curious what you think about this. I know that whenever you're talking about entering something, your credit card information, even though that's sort of how it works already, even with the, the current system, you're, you're stopped and you give them your card. I don't know. Do they take cash? I don't think they take cash anymore for parking. I could be wrong. The idea is to speed up the process. So if you can move all those cars, those queues of cars that are used to have to stop and then process payment and then go forward, you know, inch by inch, car by car, getting to the lots. If you can just have people drive in, either they've already taken care of it or they're processing their vehicles using the QR code and entering their information, I think it's got to be faster, right? Now, here's a question. I, I raised this issue uh, yesterday afternoon after the show. I was eating lunch upstairs at the cafe. And I, I said, okay, so somebody comes in, doesn't scan, day of parking. You know, they didn't prepay or anything, or pre-register, I should say. And they park and they leave. So I would assume that there's some enforcement piece of this that says, all right, there's a license plate that came into American Family Field, parking lots, parked, but never paid. So there, is there a whole new enforcement wing of this that basically said, like, kind of like tolls, like right? you drive under those, is it transponder? Is that the name of those things? You drive under those and you're not registered in the I-Pass? They track you down. They have your license plate. They can figure out where you live and they send you a note that says, hey, you, you didn't pay your tolls. Pay us. I think they even slap a fine on there. Is that, because there's not a lot in this story about that part of this. But I'm more curious what you think about this. Will it speed it up? Will it make your process easier? Are you enthusiastic about this idea? I actually think I would like this. I have the MLB app. I can certainly do it ahead of time. I'm good to go. I would think the transfer of tickets, which often include a parking pass, that would, would make that easier. Although if your car's license plate doesn't match the owner of tickets, there's another question there. Lots of questions. What do you think? 855-616-1620. I like it. I like the use of technology. If it speeds it up, I'm all in. First of its kind, apparently, for sporting events. They're uh, partnering with the uh, the Milwaukee-based uh, company Interstate Parking, which we've all seen those signs around town in Milwaukee. It's supposed to alleviate all these big backups, especially when everybody arrives at the same time and there's big crowds. I say yay. What do you say, yay or nay? 855-616-1620 is the old... Is the old WTMJ, not old, new WTMJ. Talking text line. We'll continue the conversation after this. 
Texas says, yes, uh, parking is cashless. That makes sense. Most, most places have done that. Although Green Bay, you pay every, all the parking lots in Green Bay, the ones on site, Lambeau Field, they're all uh, parking pass, which you pay for well in advance of the season. But you still have a, a, a physical pass. They don't read your license plate. So you hang it on your, on your uh, rear view window, mirror rather, um, on your front window. And then it, the attendant notices that that's where you're supposed to be parking. So they, they haven't adopted this. It sounds like the Brewers are kind of ahead of the, ahead of the crowd on this one. Uh, lots of text on this. I want to sample some of those quickly. If I can find my, there we go. Um, will the wait lines transfer to the pay kiosk? Well, you're, they're not kiosks. There's a, there's a sign. It's a QR code. Once you scan the QR code, you do it on your phone. There's no, there's no kiosk per se, although there's probably going to be, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of helpers at the beginning of this. Um, from the 414, yeah, anything to make it quicker and easier, but how are they going to know if you're preferred to general parking? That's what somebody asked me. How do you police that? Because right now when you go to a game, it's sort of, you peel off one way or the other, right? So if you're not looking at, Anything with an attendant there, how do you know that someone's not supposed to be in preferred? Or do you actually go and scan all the license plates in the preferred lot and say, hey, that car doesn't belong here, that car doesn't belong here? That seems to be a touchy one, but maybe we'll get an answer to that at some point. Uh, from the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, I think the new parking system and strategy is smart and will keep traffic moving, traffic moving better and reduce the number of P, uh, regular left-lane collisions at the ballpark extra on 94 East until that roadway gets reconstructed. I'm all in. I don't see a big backlash against this. I think this is going to be a, a popular move. Now, Texter makes a great point, and I, I also ask this question. I don't have an answer to this question. What do you do with no plate or temporary plates? Well, temporary, you can add it in. Here's the other thing. I was just thinking about this for me. I drive Heiser cars. I'm lucky enough to have that great relationship with Heiser. If you ask me right now what the license plate number, I have no idea. Because I don't I never really enter it for anything. I don't really street park much. If I did, I probably would know it. So that'd be a little confusing. So you at least have to know your license plate number, which I think most people do, right? I could tell you my truck license plate number. Uh, from the 414, Steve, Jilly's Car Wash uses the license plate reading technology for their car wash packages. Seems to work well. Should be good for parking. Interesting. Jilly's Car Wash. Uh, this is um, nothing to do with the uh, topic, but kudos to your producer, Charlie, who played Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's pictures at an exhibition after today's 1030 News. Thanks from Michael and Oak Creek. Charlie gives you the thumbs up. So thanks for, for uh, noticing that. Uh, texture from the 262. Now let's let some other city test it out. Why would we have to be the guinea pig? It will help with safety. So it will help with safety. So cars are backed up on the, won't be backed up on the freeway. I want to say this. I appreciate any business company organization like the Brewers willing to look at technology and say, you know, we could do it a different way. I'm not a, a big fan or friend of status quo. I think it's lazy for the most part. So I enthusiastically endorse this shift. I don't want to wait in lines because someone's fumbling around with their credit card or the attendant's not paying attention or whatever that would be. I think all of the problems are on the brewer's side, not the user's side. We're just going to drive in, hopefully with no lines or quicker moving lines. We park, and either we've prepaid through the MLB app and entered our license plate for all of the games we're going to, 
we're covered. Or if we're a one-of or only go to a couple games, we scan the code, put our license plate in there, park in the right spot. I think that's a great shift using new technology. Um, from the 608, factor it into the price of the game tickets instead. Interesting. Interesting uh, thought there. I don't know that it, well, essentially that's what the Packers do. When you pay your season ticket bill, if you have parking, you pay that bill, which I think is 50 bucks. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, ahead of time. So in about a week or so, we're all going to get our, all of us Packers season ticket holders, we're going to get our, our invoice. It's going to have all our games. Parking, if you have a pass, and you got, I think, till the end of March to pay it. Texter reminds us that all Waukesha County Parks use this system. Good on the uh, Waukesha County Parks. Uh, this is, a, I think, this is tongue in cheek. Yeah, pretty much, I know it is. Uh, for the nine two zero, Trump just posted the Brewers' new parking scheme. It's just another new way that liberal businesses are trying to get young people to vote for Biden. Funny, snarky, not true, but funny. Uh, for the 920, hey, Steve, I'm all for speeding up the parking process with license plate recognition. Maybe they can use it to direct the Cubs fans to the farthest lot away from Brewers fans. That's from Jeff from Sheboygan. You have the battle between Cubs and Brewers. I, I actually, sort of aside here, I raised this with uh, Mr. Gene Miller. You're going to have to listen to the podcast to hear my, his answer. The whole Craig Council thing, because he's been off the radio since that happened. So he has a really great response to the Craig Council question when it comes to the shift from the beloved Brewer to the hated Cubs. So if, if for nothing else, get his hot take. And that, that will be our clip that we're going we're gonna to put out there on social media for the, uh, the reason you should listen to Scrafidiology. I'm looking at producer Charlie. That will be our clip. Gene talking about the, the dreaded Cubs rivalry and Craig Council's decision to move south of the border. All right, final break. And I know that I was going to do something here. Yes. Another update story. The funny highway signs in Wisconsin may not be gone. May not be gone. And I think there's there's actually a fan contest to participate. So hold your powder on that one. The uh, snarky, funny, sometimes not funny highway signs, at least in Wisconsin, may not be gone. We'll discuss next. Remember when we told you about those funny pop culture-inspired highway signs in Wisconsin would be going away, all the humor, the snark? Well, maybe not. It's interesting that the uh, Department of Transportation, they they were responding, of course, to the Federal Highway Administration saying that there was a new manual on how to make these traffic control devices, these signs, more uniform. They were trying to define the standards by which they operate in, in, the, in, the, in the country. So, Journal Sentinel, again, another great story on, on something that we've all been talking about. Because it was, it, they're, they're clever, they're usually, and they're popular. Claire Reed wrote a story for the Journal Sentinel that talked to um, the folks in Wisconsin here uh, from the DOT. And basically what they're saying is, hold on. Here's a direct quote. At the Wisconsin DLT, we are reviewing the new federal manual, and so we are, as we go through the process, we're going to look at different guidelines and requirements in that manual. I can tell you that it does not, does not include a ban on humor or pop culture references on dynamic message, message signs. So they're going to work with the 
Federal Highway Administration, local agencies to develop new guidelines on what these signs can and cannot include. Spokesman says, we're always evaluating what we put out there. We want to be clear, concise, and understandable. We don't want to confuse people. The uh, division communication manager, Steve Tyson from WISDOT, said they use inspiration from movies and holidays. You know, the famous one is May the 4th Be With You. Uh, you can mix in a Star Wars reference. Um, I like this idea. Rather than just ban something, now, it, like anything, it can be overdone, overused, sometimes not funny. So, I mean, you have to put a lot of thought on the front end. And it, somebody raised this point. It might have been even Jeff when he was still uh, doing his show. That if it engages the drivers, motorists, in the right way, doesn't distract them, but a quick glance at a funny, quirky, snarky message can actually trigger something that says, you know what, there's something happening we need to be paying attention to. Hey, I don't have my seatbelt on. I drove in a car the other day where the driver didn't have a seatbelt on, and I thought, wow, that's weird. You don't see that every day anymore, and maybe that's a common thing. Maybe it's not. I would be distracted by the uh, every couple of minutes the, the warning thing goes off, but maybe that's a, a you know, that little sign that says buckle up in some funny way. Maybe that's all we need to uh, prompt better, safer highways. So kudos to the, uh, the WISDOT folks for at least – Keeping an open mind on this, and I think as we uh, we look at this story, they'll they'll find some way to make it work. I mean, one of the funny ones from the from the uh, winter months was Hocus Pocus, in the Halloween, I should say, Hocus Pocus drive with focus. Who does that hurt? So they're not necessarily going away. Might have some holiday messages. Might have a, a Packer hint or two. Lean. They even use some Yiddish on there. Use Yablinka. That's more New York than is it New York or Yiddish? I don't know. You tell me. All right. After the break, we weren't we didn't have him on the schedule, but um, he noticed one of my posts on the X. Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany. I've never talked to him on the show. There's a lot of debate going on right now about immigration border policy. I've been critical of Republicans who have basically been jumping up and down about the crisis at the border, who are now saying no deal. We'll wait till after the election. Congressman Tom Tiffany is going to join us live on the program about 11.08. Because I, I posed this question. If Republicans now don't believe they need legislation, the president can do what he needs to do to improve our safety, why did they pass H.R. 2? The House passed it, right? Why did they create that legislation, that law, by Republicans, including Wisconsin's Republicans, that didn't need it? We're going to have that conversation. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Hey, welcome to the 11 o'clock hour. I am Steve. As Big Voice Guy just said, it is Tuesday, February 6th. You never know where the show's going to go. You start with a plan. Sometimes the plan changes. Sometimes guests change, come and go. In this case, we have a, a, a new guest that wasn't on the, on the outline. He represents the state of Wisconsin, the 7th District, which uh, I believe is the Wausau area. I, I think he lives in Wausau. And that individual, that guest, is Representative Tom Tiffany, who joins us on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. Good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Steve. Good to join you. So, yes, you are correct. It does include Wausau. That's the major, largest municipality. I actually live in Manaqua. Oh, which is also a very beautiful place. I've been there many times. I'm way to Mercer, Wisconsin, which you probably know as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, very well. You know, Steve, just an aside, been a tough winter up north. We haven't, you guys have more snow than we've had, and boy, no snowmobiling this year, and all the rest have been tough on the tourism businesses in the far north and the upper peninsula. So I spent some time ice fishing in, 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 in Mercer, Wisconsin, and I know Hurley Ironwood. Have we seen anything like this in, in like, any time recent history? I think I, I saw somebody post something the other day, and they said the winter of 1980-81 was similar to this, where there basically wasn't much winter. Yeah, it's just crazy. And, and I know, and, I, and I, I talked about this last week on the show, there's a lot of people who depend on that, that winter recreational stuff, the, the trails, the snow, snow machines, snowmobiling, whatever the way you refer to it as, um, skiing, all that. Ski hills can make snow, most of them. But the, the trails for snowmobiles, you need snow to fall. And at some point, that, that has a serious economic impact for the folks who depend on that. So hopefully, we still got a chunk of time. You know how Wisconsin winters are, Congressman. Oh, oh, yes, we do. March and April could get really snowy. Yes. Yeah, so there's hope, there's hope still out there. And, and I always tell people, don't cancel your plans. If you have a reservation at one of these places, there's great restaurants up there. I've been in a lot of them. I spent a lot of time in northern Wisconsin. Still, still go up there. Even if the trails aren't open, you can have a lot of a, a great time up there. All right. The reason you called, what, this is what I love about social media. An online conversation about border policy, immigration policy, prompted you to to respond to one of my tweets, or X, whatever X calls them now, posts, and I said, let's do it. So I'll tell you my frustration on the border crisis, immigration policy. And I do agree that the, the president has messed the bed on this, President Joe Biden, not enforcing things. I also have a historical context that says both sides have messed the bed on this issue for decades. And I think most Americans, and you can tell me if you agree or not, think we should have a clear, concise policy for who gets in, who doesn't, and how we administrate that border with Mexico. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do, Steve. Um, I agree with that characterization. And, and it's really... You know, this has been going on, uh, presidents of both parties, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you go you go back to President Reagan, and um, this is a place where, shall we say, border hawks, uh, they're critical of President Reagan, oftentimes one of the few things that they're critical of him, but um, where he was basically said, okay, we're going to agree to take all these people in, and then we'll get enforcement in the future. And I think that's the big concern is that, okay, you get the promise, or yeah, you get the real time, more people coming in, um, but then you get the enforcement later, and that's what President Reagan agreed to. And so people get concerned about that as a result of it. But, yeah, this has been going on for a long time. So my frust- frustration, recent frustration, has been it seems like for the first time there was an effort by both sides, including a lot of Republican senators. I don't know if any congressmen are in that mix. There's probably a few that said, okay, we have an opportunity to do something here. I know, looking back, that the House that you serve in, in, I believe, May of, of last year, passed H.R. 2, which I'll read, I'll read from the, the headline. The bill makes various changes to immigration law, including imposing limits on asylum eligibility, requiring employers to use an electronic system to verify the employment eligibility, eligibility of new employees, all really important things. So if 
and as as I responded to some of the tweets this morning, if if a new law is not needed, not needed, why did the House pass new legislation in May? I don't get the that difference. Yeah. So, um, and I responded to you this morning, and the reason I'm on is that it was a very good question, and it was a very good question because. Um, President Biden does have the ability to get the border secured. Under the previous administration, they were moving in that direction, not completely secured, but they were moving in that direction. And when President Biden, his second action he took on January 20th of 2021 after shutting down Keystone XL is he said, I'm going to institute catch and release. And it's catch and release is exactly as it's referred to. Somebody says, hey, I want to be a silee. I want to get into the country. And they say, yep, you can come on in and you have your hearing later, which in most cases doesn't happen um, for a long time, if it ever happens. And um, so President Biden does have the ability to secure the border. He has all the authority that he needs in the Immigration and Naturalization Act to be able to do that. The reason we did H.R. 2 is we wanted to get more of this stuff in statute. So that way there's no misconception by the courts because you know, Steve, you've probably seen conflicting opinions come down by the courts as it goes through the federal court system. And we wanted to put it in statute, a number of these things, so that there was there was no doubt what the intent of Congress is. Second reason that we did this, we wanted to give authority to the state's attorney generals to be able to have a cause of action if their state was being overrun. So see Texas, see Arizona, California, um, certainly now. And so a state attorney general could take action if they chose to. And uh, the third thing is, and this is a part of the bill that I actually worked on on the Judiciary Committee, is in regards to immigration parole, is parole is supposed to be used on a case-by-case basis. It was put in law in 1952. And What Secretary Mayorkas has done and the Biden administration is they've done these mass paroles. For example, the Afghan evacuees that came out in August of 2021, 78,000 of them, they were largely given parole. That is not how parole is supposed to be used. So we really wanted to tighten up that parole, immigration parole language also, uh, Steve. And we just thought we would have a bet, we would be able to have better border security by having this in statute. Given that explanation, which I which I thank you for providing, it's not law. The House passed it. Senate, has, have they ever taken action on it? Uh, the House has passed it, and it's in the Senate. It's in the Senate, but they haven't, they haven't voted on it yet. The Senate has not voted on it. That's correct. So given that reality, a lot of people, some are, including Republican senators, probably some of you, you know fairly well just from seeing each other in Congress, supported the idea of, all right, so why don't we try to do something? And they crafted a Senate bill. I have not seen the text of it. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Um, but that effort has actually not produced anything. It sounds like it's going nowhere. The speaker, which I'll ask you about in a second, Speaker Mike Johnson, has basically said it's, I'm paraphrasing, but dead on arrival in the House. Do you agree with Speaker Mike Johnson that it should be dead on arrival, or is this just where we're going to play politics with it, my word? And, and not have anything done until the next election happens? So, um, and you are correct that I've heard from a, a few Republicans, you know, this is a product of compromise, let's do something. The one thing, so I've served in the state legislature for nearly 10 years, and one of the commitments I made early on was that 
I am not going to support a bill that does something. You've got to make sure that it's going to be effective. And the um, basically the Amnesty Act that the Senate um, has introduced over the weekend is it, there are so many loopholes in it that it is worse than doing something because people will say, okay, we're going to get the border secured here. We will not. And I would point to, there's a whole bunch of things I could point to in the bill that provide these loopholes. But the biggest one is the president can declare an emergency anytime. And the bill um, and the operative parts of the bill are not implemented. So you put this big loophole in it. I would cite Senator Chris Murphy, who was one of the authors of this. He was quoted this weekend as saying, no, on this bill, the border never closes. So when you look at things like that, it is um, we are not going to secure the border with this. This is once again going to be another one of those fig leaves going back to Reagan in the 1980s. And we've seen it a few times in the decades since where people say, OK, yeah, we're going to we're going to do something about the border and we're going to secure the border. We're going to do something about illegal immigration. This does not in any way solve the problem. In fact, it probably makes it worse. Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany joining us from, are you in Washington right now? Yeah, we're in session this week. Uh, so thanks for taking the time, first and foremost. All right, so a couple quick ones. Do you support the impeachment of, of Mayorkas? I will vote for it, yes. Okay. I am going to vote for his impeachment. Do you worry that, and this is sort of a general one, looking at the impact of politics campaigns on the process, which is men and women in Congress creating and passing legislation. Do you worry that, as some people have said, that a candidate for president, in this case former President Donald Trump, has a, a strong influence, some people's minds, on proposed legislation? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So, you know, I'm not sure who they're referencing in regards to that other than former President Trump. But, for example, I was asked by a, a radio um, a news person up north, um, did you, um, are you saying what you're saying in regards to these so-called border bills that, um, um, that you're not, um, that you're not going to support the Senate version because President Trump came out and said something? That is not the case at all. And I can tell you, certainly those of us on the Judiciary Committee who wrote this, including Representative Fitzgerald from down in your neck of the woods, um, uh, what President Trump has to say has nothing to do with us not supporting the Senate version um, of border security because we know that it will not work, that it is not going to accomplish its goal. So President Trump doesn't have anything to do with the decisions I make. I mean, I've always made a commitment to people. Um, I make the decisions based on what's best for our country and for my constituents. Since I'm talking to you, Congressman, let's 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 let you have the power. If you have the power to make the decisions on the border exclusively, if you were sitting in the Oval Office or wherever, what would that policy look like? Just give me some basic checklist items so that those of us in Wisconsin kind of know where where you're coming from. Yeah, if you go back to January 20th of 2021 with the executive orders from President Biden, what did he do? He ended or he started catch and release. So in other words, you can come into the country. You don't have to wait for your asylum hearing. Um, 
Remain in Mexico was taken away. Remain in Mexico was very effective because it required people to do their asylum hearings in an outside third country, in particular Mexico. That really discouraged people from coming here because they knew they were going to have a legitimate asylum hearing, not this just waving people in. Um, I would resume construction of the border wall. I've met with sheriffs down in Arizona and Texas, and they say, yes, it works. Is it a panacea? No. But if you use it in conjunction with other technologies, it can be effective. I would make sure that um, parole was being done in an appropriate manner, uh, not doing these mass parole um, uh, enrollments that are coming into the country. Use it as it says in the law. It needs to be done on a case-by-case basis. So the principal things, though, see, really are um, you, you take away catch and release and restart remain in Mexico when you got to do your asylum hearing outside of the country. And then just enforce the laws that are already on the books. Speaker Mike Johnson has said the right number for crossings uh, across that border. I'm assuming he's talking about illegal is zero. He doesn't mean zero immigration, legal immigration across that border from those countries south of that border, does he? He does not. And so remember the bill that we're talking about, the Senate version, they're talking about you can have up to 5,000 people coming in illegally before you are mandated enforcement. President Obama's head of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, said back in the day that 1,000 illegal uh, border crossings is an emergency for the United States of America. Amazing how things have changed. No, see, I see this as a three-step process. One we need to secure the border. Second, those people who are able-bodied Americans need to work because we hear from employers all the time, help wanted signs everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. We have about three to five million people since COVID in March of 2020 that are on the sidelines that could be working. We need to do that secondly to make sure that all able-bodied Americans are incentivized to work. And then the third thing, we need to reform our immigration system because I believe in legal immigration, and we need to make it work for American, for Americans and for America because we should have legal immigration, but that comes after securing the border. I appreciate you taking the time. I'll ask you one more question about impeachment. Do you worry as a congressman, as an elected official in, in Washington, that we may, are, we may be in a situation where we're overdoing the impeachment play. We saw it with President Donald Trump. We see it with attempts, these hearings for current president. We're talking about uh, impeaching Mayorkas here. Are you worried that we're playing that card too much? Yeah, it deeply concerns me that it becomes flippant. And uh, But I will say the reason I'm going to vote for impeachment with uh, Secretary Mayorkas is he is ignoring the law. The INA it requires him to take these actions. The second thing, I've seen it in the Judiciary Committee, he has lied to Congress. He's told us the border is secure. And the Border Patrol, who worked for him, the head of the Border Patrol said, no, the border is not secure, as well as other things that uh, Secretary Mayorkas says, hate to use the word, but has lied to us. So to your the first part of the question, I am concerned about this being used in the way it has been. But in this case, I think it's warranted. Congressman Tom Tiffany, representing uh, Northern Wisconsin. I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm glad you reached out, and I look forward to future conversations. Yeah, thanks for carving out some time today. Always a good discussion about this stuff, Steve. I appreciate it. Uh, we will talk again. Uh, Congressman Tom Tiffany. We'll take a break here. Listen, of course, to WTMJ. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And 
Thank you, producer Charlie, playing some great music there. Toby Keith passed away. I think it was 62. Was that the far too young? Very, very popular singer, very patriotic singer, which I love. Uh, and I want to say thanks to Tom Tiffany, Congressman Tom Tiffany, representing Wausau and, and Manaqua and, and areas north in Wisconsin. Um, that just happened spontaneously. I was uh, we were both commenting on a post. He said, "Hey, why don't we talk?" I said, "We'll, we'll squeeze you in." And uh, we've never talked on the program before. So I thank him for taking the time and sharing some of his thoughts on all of this, which kind of leads me to my next question. I'm going to take another break here real quick, but I want to at least put this question out, and I want to get your thoughts. 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. We hear a lot about immigration, border policy. It's It's been, by some politicians' mindset, the big issue in the race for president. I would say it's probably the economy, mostly confusion about the economy, because there's a lot of good stories that don't get covered, which I try to do on this program. But a lot of folks think it's that issue. So I'm asking this simple question for the next few minutes here. What is your principal election that will make you decide either way how you vote, whether you're not going to vote? Some people are saying that now because they don't like the choices. Whatever that is, what's the reason behind that? Is it the economy, immigration border policy, abortion? Women's health services, big factor in women choosing to vote in ever-increasing numbers. They're still the majority piece of our population here in the United States. What's your issue? 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. What will get you to the polls or keep you away from the polls or probably, more importantly, decide, make your decision on who you vote for? That's next. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday. What's your biggest issue in this election coming up, November? Economy, border policy, immigration, those two tied together, of course. Although Congress can't seem to get out of its own way, and they probably won't do anything until the next calendar year. Is it abortion? Big issue with women and women's health. Or another issue that I'm not thinking of. Al joins us from Sherman Park. Welcome to the show, Al. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Steve. Early voting starts today in the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, Thanks for mentioning that. Yes. Yeah, my goal to get to the polls is to get rid of these elitist politicians who are not listening to us <laughs> and are really doing everything against our common good. So it's going to start at the local, the state, and then move to federal because I, I can't see how politicians can sit there and we're telling you, okay, close the border, right? Now, you know, a big pendulum just swung on closing the border. Uh, yesterday, Al Sharpton was hosting MSNBC, I think it was Morning Joe, mm-hmm. and he literally called the, my, the migration crisis, he called it an evasion. Al Sharpton, a leader basically in the black community, getting out the black vote, calling the border crisis an invasion. That is huge. Yeah. Certainly the tone has changed. I mean, if you listen to the show, and I don't know if you're a regular listener or not, I am very frustrated with politicians. We elect them, supposedly, to go craft legislation and pass that legislation that improves our lives. But you and I both know this, Al. They're not doing that. They're, they're appearing on shows. They're doing press conferences or writing press releases. They're not passing important legislation that actually fixes things. My frustration. Well, 2024 is the year of the great reveal because all these lies they told us, oh, immigration's not going to hurt you. It's not going to cost you anything. Look at the residents of uh, Chicago, the black residents, and New York. 
and what it's costing them in terms of resources, resources they couldn't get before, but all of a sudden, migrants get them. They get moved ahead, placed ahead of citizens paying the taxes. We are mad out here, and we're getting rid of these elites in 2024. Thanks for the call, Alan. And, and I, I, I sense the frustration. I'm frustrated. Now, this show gives equal time to both sides of the political aisle. At least I try to, as much as I can. I had a very conservative Congressman Tom Tiffany, and I, I thank him again for coming on. I think that's the right thing to do. Now, do we agree on everything on immigration? No, because I think a, some possible steps that are reached on a bipartisan basis on border policy, immigration policy, policing, asylum, amnesty, whatever is in there, if the two sides can agree, at least in the Senate, why can't the House do the same thing? And that frustration, I think, is going to culminate in some air, very angry voters as we get closer to November. i got to take another break here. i got calls and texts. We'll continue the conversation on WTMJ. Thanks for spending some time with us on WTMJ. I always appreciate that. and I, I love the fact that whenever I'm out and about, people often take the time and say, hey, listen to this uh, piece of your show. What do you think about this? And they, they throw ideas at me. And I've taken some of those ideas and actually made segments out of it. So this is sort of on, on one of those veins, one of those, uh, those conversation topics that I engaged with some folks away from the show. So thanks for taking the time today. All right, back to the phone lines. Richard from Illinois. Hey, Richard, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, hey Steve. Uh, like I told Charlie, I, I, you know, all the topics are important, but my number one topic and, re- and thing is to be is to vote who's ever going to have the best chance of beating Trump. It, it just I'm old and it just scares the bejeebers out of me to think of four years with him. If you listen to him talk, you can like read between the lines and see that he wants to be a dictator. He will be a czar, and he, if he gets in again, he'll he will never leave. He'll surround himself. Do you want to see Steve Bannon as? Secretary of State and Roger Stone as he's going to surround himself with all his cronies and I think he's just a frightening individual. So, as you know, I voted for Biden last time just because I didn't want to see Trump when Clinton and Trump ran. I didn't vote for either. I voted for Ryan McMullen. Who is mm. that? Yeah, yep. I knew he wouldn't win, but at least you I, feel good about your vote. And, I, I said that. Trump. I said that for the, when I voted for Nikki Haley uh, as a write-in. I felt good about my votes. Right. And I above all else, and I, and I, I felt good. And, and I felt good because I, I knew he, Ryan McMullen wasn't going to win, but that was my dissatisfaction with the two candidates at the time. But now it's just going to be anti-Trump. So, Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call, Rich. I think a lot of people echo what, what you just said. I'm in the no-Trump camp. I don't think that's shocking or breaking news to anybody. Uh, doesn't mean I won't have conservative Congress people or senators or advocates for conservatism on the show because that makes for a better show, in my opinion. I think we have to at least listen to each other. That's the starting point of any kind of concession that the system's broken. And unless, unless somebody's out here saying the system's not broken, you want to make that argument, make that argument. Steve joins us from the great city of Milwaukee. Hey, Steve, welcome. Hi, how you do? Good, good. What do you think? Um, to me, the, the biggest issue is preservation of democracy. Um, you look at Trump, January 6th, uh, the phone call to Georgia, the, uh, you know, his, his own attorney, General Toady, told him, no, there wasn't any uh, fraud, and he still kept on spouting the fraud line. Um, I just don't want that guy anywhere near our democracy. 
You think that's going to happen? He's not going to win? <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope people are wise enough to not vote for him. But I'm afraid there's just so much propaganda out there that, um, you know, he does have a chance. Uh, obviously, yes, and a strong chance. Thanks for the call, Steve, calling from Milwaukee. Look at Bob from Milwaukee Show. And, hey, Bob, good morning. Good morning. You know, every day you have complaints, and, and they're valid. And you're, you, the number, the be, most complaints are about your party. Why don't you take Liz Cheney's advice? And vote for Joe Biden. If the Republicans lose and lose big, maybe they're going to get rid of some of these idiots, megas, that's in Congress. And get, and and tr- right now, Trump is running your party. And one thing I'll agree with Charlie Sykes till my dying day, never Trump. And the the, the complaints you have about your party, like this border issue. How many years have we been waiting for the Democrats and the Republicans to come together? Decades. A bipartisan bill. And the people you vote for are going to let it it rot until Trump gets in. I guess my answer to your challenge, if we can call it that, Bob, is that I see a Republican Party that stands for less government. I see a Republican Party that understands that an exploding deficit is, is a problem. And I, I'm hopeful. I always have the, the the more optimistic viewpoint. I want the Republican Republican Party to return to normalcy. I'm not a Trump supporter. You know that. You listen to the show. And I I not hope anymore. You have a totally different party than what you had years ago. The the party you had before Trump w- was better. Now you you have. I'll call them criminals in the in the in the Congress. Running, running this country. They're doing what Trump wants them to do. How can an ex-president that has 91 felony charges that was impeached twice, how can he run Congress? And that's what he's doing by telling them not to vote for this bill. I appreciate your call, Bob. And, and look, I get the passion. I'm not a Trump supporter. And we're all going to have a decision to make in November about these candidates, and it looks today like it's going to be Biden or Trump. I still think, by the way, and there's a lot of people out there, not as many as there should be, that say there's a there's a fork in the road for Trump here. He got bad news today on presidential immunity from the appeals court. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. I hope that the U.S. Supreme Court says this. We agree with the appeals court, or we just refer it back. They have the right call, unanimous decision. The president doesn't have complete immunity. It makes no sense. And I think those cases, those concerns, will at some point shift the balance for Trump. And I've said it over and over again. i got to take a break here, and we'll get to uh, Texas calling from Florida after the break. The only way this goes away, this scourge of the Republican Party, and that's what I call it. Some people love Donald Trump. They call him the greatest president ever, the, the, the greatest thing since sliced bread, whatever. The only way this goes away, my opinion, and I'm paid to be a radio show host, is if he takes a beating, if he's the nominee, he takes a beating on election day. That's the only way. Because then you will see the tide turn. My opinion. Somebody asked me during a break on a text. Yes, some people have my phone number, believe it or not. Uh, what derails Trump? I really do think some of this election stuff, election interference stuff is going to happen. I know the, the DA or the prosecutor in in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, sort of messed the bed on that thing and 
probably should be replaced by somebody else who doesn't have a, a stain related to someone she was sleeping with. But set that aside, there's still a case there. Um, the, the one most likely is the documents case in Florida. Uh, once we sort through these legal issues, the U.S. Supreme Court on immunity and some of the other questions related to the president, ballot access, I think these cases can move forward. I think, and somebody asked this question, so I'm going to answer it. One conviction making Donald Trump a felon probably derails any chance he has to be president, my opinion, because I've seen the polling, and we have a, a new poll. I don't know if he asked this question or not, but Charles Franklin from the MU Marquette Law School poll I'll try to have him on Friday. I'll see if he's available, or Thursday, rather, um, to, to talk over some of the results of his poll, which I think is released tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. Um, one conviction, making him a felon, most polling suggests nationally. Again, national is different than states. So you got to pay attention to that, that uh, qualifier, that difference. Could derail any serious chance to be reelected, my opinion. Uh, Tex wants to join the conversation, calling all the way from Florida. Hey, Tex, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, you just mentioned about him being so. What if he does get convicted? Well, then what will they do for the Republican nominee? Well, I think that's the spare discussion that's been going on. Is it Nikki Haley? Is it somebody else? That if you needed somebody to come in, that might be some of what is happening with the uh, decision by the Haley camp to stay in the race. I think all things are possible. I think Trump will win the nomination, but the question is if he's a felon. Will that nomination go forward? Will he be nominated at the convention in Milwaukee this July? Will he be the candidate? That's a big open question. And I, I still think there's an opportunity there for Republicans to say, you know what, this ain't working for us. He can't be the guy. What do you think? So back to your question, anybody but uh, Biden or Trump. Well, unfortunately, that's our choice. I think Nikki Haley is the one that can save the day. I do, too. Thanks for the call text. I, I, I'm a Haley supporter. I I freely say that out loud i put it in my my posts i talk about it on social media i have a lot of respect for the former governor i I love the fact that she has a lot of really significant knowledge about the world we live in when it comes to how this country relates to other countries through her work through the u.n she's very very critical of the u.n when she served as ambassador she didn't like phoniness and countries playing the you know the safe game with some of the big powerhouses in the world. I, I like the fact she had an opinion. I get that there's Trump supporters out there. You don't have to hide. We all know you're there. Last time it was about 70 million of you. I don't begrudge any vote. You have the right to vote for who you want, so I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm telling you how I would vote. Mark from Houstonford. Hey, Mark. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. All right. What do you think? Um, was this, well, I think until we fix the voting issue, it isn't really going to matter. I was telling your screener, uh, I was one of the 240,000 people in Wisconsin that voted without an ID in the 2020 election. Um, I purposely did that. I'm a conservative Christian voter. But I checked that little box on the uh, absentee ballot that said confined to home. Mm-hmm. and uh, there was no ID required. I, all I had to do was provide an address, and a day later I got a ballot. Um, yeah, for the folks who don't know, that was, a, that was an accommodation made because of the pandemic. There's been court challenges and all that stuff for the folks outside of Wisconsin. Well, Go ahead. And, 
and and realistically, you know, how many people were actually didn't have an ID when they were confined by the home? I mean, come on, we all had our our wallets with us. Yeah, and you know, and know this, separated. Mark. Know this, Mark. I'm a supporter of voter ID, so I'm not arguing about that point. I'm a supporter and, of that. And 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 you know, and I went to the state election commission. I went to the attorney general's office. I went to the governor's office. I went to my congress people, some of whom were Republicans, some were Democrats. Nobody cared. Nobody has cared. All I ever got was, a, oh, well, thank you. That's nice to know. Is voter fraud and your number so, one issue for this campaign? Voter fraud, I guess, has always been my number one issue. Thanks for the call, Mark. I appreciate the uh, the honesty there. Um, all right, we'll get one more in before the break here. It is Jeremy from Russine. Hey, Jeremy. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. My number one issue is geopolitics. Uh, currently, Ukraine is my major concern because it's so close in proximity to NATO. And my concern is if this does spread into NATO allies, we're sending our sons off to war. And that one is, is for me as a president, I think is top priority. We need to make sure that we continue to support, whether you like Ukraine or not, that is a priority one for national security. And that's where I think a president should be. Domestically, Congress. Congress was dysfunctional when when Obama was in office, okay, it was a locked Congress. That's why we've been doing executive orders for the better part of 12-plus years, going on 16 years of exec order one, exec order two, and then flip-flop. And when a new president comes in and, you know, reverses all those ex orders, and we're not getting anything done domestically uh, as far as moving forward, anything that, that will help the people uh, as a majority. So when it comes to presidency, it's to me, it's, international politics, geopolitics, that's their backyard. That's what they need to be good at. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Jeremy. Thanks for taking the time to call. I agree with him. I'm a supporter of funding Ukraine's efforts to push back against Russia. I know that's become a you know a talking point for the Tucker Carlson's of the world, who apparently got an interview with uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday or today. Really? This is what we're doing now? We play those games? Now, it's a great get, got to be honest. Anybody think Vladimir Putin's going to be speaking truth to the United States about anything? I don't. Final break before we get to the top of the hour news at WTMJ. Texer asked me, why do you let somebody who believes in election fraud on? Because somebody believes that. There's a whole group of people in this country that think the election was stolen. So I'm supposed to ignore that train of thought because I don't like it? I don't agree with it? That's not how it works here. We're going to keep having these conversations. I don't have to agree with them, but they're welcome on the, on the program uh, from the 262. People are so hypocritical, hypocritical about Trump. Would he act like a fool on the show? The Apprentice is one of the highest rated shows of all time, and everybody loved it. I even remember some of his statements being on T-shirts and hats. He fired people and called them names. Now when he acts like a fool, everybody's afraid of him. I don't get the Trump fear at all. I get politics I often say that politics is played like a sport now, often by people who are never really good at sports, and you get what you get. Look, the reality is it's a country of, what, 200-plus million people who disagree vehemently on a lot of things. That's the cool thing and the bad thing. It makes it really hard to come to a compromise or an agreement on any of the big issues of the day. That's the reality we live in. That's what makes it a great country. So let's not pretend that one side has all the answers to anything. They don't. There's too much laziness, unintellectual thought in this country already. 
There's a reason we have compromises that worked for many years in Congress. It can work again. I'm not giving up. I'm not pretending that this is the, the most important election of our lifetime. They're all important. That's why I vote in every election. Doesn't matter. That's the reality. But if you're afraid to hear other people's opinions, you're getting half the story. Just because they don't agree with you doesn't mean they're bad people. You've got to get past that. All right. Busy show tomorrow. We've got Annie Schwartz, Public Safety Hour. We've got some great topics. We're certainly going to revisit the, the case of the woman who lost her life because of what I think is negligence on behalf of uh, an ambulance company. And that's my word, not the word that other people are using. And a whole lot more. And then we have Ask Steve Anything in the 11 o'clock hour, as we always do on Wednesday. Great Wednesday show coming up.